As we get closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas, Hollywood is loading up some of its big guns for our holiday enjoyment. The two of the biggest, Dune and Eternals, have recently landed in theaters to prime the pump. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focus on the family's weekly conversation about pop culture, entertainment, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, sci-fi fans know that Frank Herbert's seminal 1965 epic Dune brims with big themes like political intrigue, intergalactic warfare, and even some religious themes too. And over in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, things are simultaneously getting more spiritual there too with Eternals. It's a superhero saga that's not just an origin story for these heroes, but Man, they're giving us a straight-up origin story for almost everything. So they're going big as well. So Paul Acey, Jonathan McKee, and I are going to talk about those movies today, as well as some of the bigger questions and ideas that it seems like science fiction, fantasy, and even superhero movies ultimately end up asking. A bit later on, we'll hear from Plugged In's resident video game guru, Bob Hoos, about an interesting new game that rewards players for not killing their enemies. And be sure to stick around for another pulse-pounding installment of our action-packed feature, Culture (laughs) Countdown, at the end of the show today. I know I'm personally already excited about that. Well, all right, gentlemen, here's my first question today. What was the first science fiction book you remember reading when you were young? Oh, I can't wait to hear Paul's answer. I, I, I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't wait. All right. All right. I guess that means I'm going first. It was e- Foundation. Either that, or, either that or Jonathan Stalling. Exactly. Exactly. Did, <laughs> did I read a science fiction book? Have I read a book? No, no. I didn't say oh, that, Jonathan. Wow. Oh, no. No, no. My, my, first, uh, my first science fiction book was actually Foundation, Isaac Asimov. Okay. Read it when I was 13. Thought it was really good, even though... Not much actually happens. Well, see, it speaks to your acumen at 13 that you were able to read it because I tried to read it and I'm like, man, if this is the greatest sci-fi novel of all time, <laughs> I'm going to start reading horror or something because it wasn't very interesting to me when I was 13. Yeah. And, and I'll also say as a bit of an aside, Foundation is out on Apple TV Plus right now as well. So maybe it will figure back into our conversation somewhere along the line. It may. You never know. We'll just have to see. Jonathan, what about you? Well, uh, Paul is actually uh, slightly correct when it comes to uh, the... uh, I I actually wasn't stalling. I did want to hear what he said. But um, honestly, when you said this, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I've ever read a science fiction book. I mean, I am being honest. And of course, Paul made me feel really stupid when he goes, have I read a a book? (laughs) Yeah, no, I haven't read a book, Paul. Thanks. But I read your book, pal, and I liked it. So so take that. Uh, But no, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved fantasy. Okay, Um, well, we'll let you default there just... Yeah, no, I mean, I even even read like Dostoevsky and stuff. I love that, but I, I tried... I tried um, uh, the Space Trilogy, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Because my brother was really digging it. And, you know, C.S. Lewis was a little deep for me at the time. I want to say I was 12 or 13. And I was like, nah, you know, and I and I dove back, you know, into the stuff I liked. And so, no, I literally 
have never read a science fiction book Okay, okay, ever. true confession. I, I think that I have read maybe three or four science fiction. I mean, science fiction series. I've read the whole, entire Foundation trilogy, the whole bit. But, but it is weird because sometimes not everybody gravitates towards science fiction. Well, it's true. Clearly, I needed to reevaluate my presuppositions before asking <laughs> this question. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. tried to read the Space Trilogy and also did not make it very far in that one as a youngster. Well, yeah. mine, shocker, is Alan Dean Foster's Star Wars, quote, sequel, unquote, Splinter of the Mind's Eye from 1978. You know, after Star Wars came out, everything changed. And that was one of the very first <laughs> Star Wars franchisee kind of things that happened was this this follow-up story. And on the cover, honestly, I remember almost nothing <laughs> about the book. I don't remember what the splinter was, whose mind it was, whose eye it was. But Luke and Leia were on the cover cowering and Darth Vader was coming at them with a lightsaber. And for my little eight-year-old self, that was that, all I needed. Stuff. That was all I was, I was sold. Yeah. Well, with the possible exception of December's upcoming movie Spider-Man No Way Home, I think two of the most anticipated films of the year have just come out. They're technically in two, I'll call them adjacent genres, <laughs> sci-fi and superhero stories, but they actually have a lot of thematic overlap when it comes to some of their core themes. I thought it would be fun to tease out some of those bigger themes in our conversation today, as well as talking more generally about how and why these two genres naturally lend themselves to metaphysical ideas and spiritual stuff and conversations. Let's start with Eternals. Paul, you saw this one for Plugged In. Um, and I think your initial description to me was it was a monster. <laughs> and then we had hours more conversation awesome. about it. So... There is a lot going on in this movie. What's happening? And what are, are some of your concerns before we dive into Dune? So Eternals is, in a way, a science fiction movie. It's a superhero okay. movie, right? But a lot of these superhero movies can lap into science fiction, and this is definitely one of them. And what you have um, to set it up, you have these huge world-creating beings called the Celestials that actually created most of the known universe. Or and they the look most like big the, robots, right? They, they look like giant. Well, they're huge. And they right. look very, very, I guess they look sort of robotic. I can see that. So anyway, they, they created pretty much most of what we know of as the universe, including Earth. Um, they actually had the Earth invaded by these what they call deep space creatures called the Deviants. And so they needed to create sort of like a police force to take care of the deviants because the deviants were just eating everybody on earth and that was not good so that wasn't the plan that wasn't the plan these deviants were definitely a deviation as you might say from ah. the plan mm. so they created the eternals and it wasn't just earth they they the eternals are essentially this whole group of superpowered individuals who go to these planets to deal just with the deviants so our particular Eternals have been on the planet for 7,000 years. They just sort of bit, sit back and watch wars, watch Thanos do his snap. They don't care about anything but the deviants. But eventually, if Eternals are doing their job right, all the deviants are gone. 
right? So that they get bored and they so just So then sit they around. just go to like, you know, the Caymans? <laughs> These awesome. particular Eternals did not go to the Caymans, but a couple did go to London. Okay. And then That's all of a sudden, good. 500 years after the last Deviant was taken care of, they thought, more show up. And that's sort of where the movie opens up. Okay. So we get on one level, it sounds like an elaborate setup for a Monster Mash superhero smackdown, right? Pretty much. That's If Pretty you're much. a superhero fan, that's why you're going. Exactly. But Eternals versus Deviants. But let's back up the train a little bit. It sounds like we also get like an entire cosmology and creation story that's not just the creation story of one superhero, right? but everything, right? Am I hearing you correctly on that? This story is really about making myths. Is That's what it comes down to. They are creating their own creation myth, mm-hmm. essentially. With the Celestials, with the Eternals, with the Deviants, uh, it's all wound up into this sort of weird spiritual hodgepodge, uh, essentially, is what okay. we're looking at. Um, it, it cherry-picks a lot of things from a lot of different religions. You know, there's a lot of classic ancient Greek mythology in here. There's a lot of Eastern mysticism here. It leans on Hinduism a lot. There's hardly a breath of Christianity in here. But And even when it shows up, it's almost as a joke, right? It, it really is just sort of this passing thing. It's not predicated on Christianity whatsoever. But they take all these elements and they create sort of this, their own humanist take on creation and life and evil and all sorts of stuff. So it really is, it was what I texted you when I first got out of the movie. It is a monster. It is a monster. (laughs) It's one of those things where if I had 5,000 words to unpack all the spirituality in this movie, it wouldn't be enough. Well, one of the things that we do at Plugged In is to make you aware of content issues that you'll want to know about as a parent before you see something. And From the beginning of the Marvel Universe, I would say, you know, we had some sensuality with the first Iron Man especially, and that's popped up here and there, and we get some language that pops up, and obviously we get sanitized superhero violence. I would say those have been the three main content kinds of things Mm -hmm. that we have focused on. Is that a fair sort of, and I'm generalizing about 24 movies. This one, it seems like, has worldview issues that are sort of next level. Uh, in terms of the spiritual ideas. Is that is that a fair observation and parents need to be aware of that so they're not it you know, is, yeah. taken by surprise? It is absolutely fair. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who directed Nomadland. So it has some some artistic oomph to it or, or some pretensions, I guess. It, it feels very much like a superhero movie. Um, you have the violence that you would expect in any superhero movie. There's a lot more sensuality than you typically see. That's right. You I mean, have, they go farther than they've ever gone in a Marvel movie. They go farther than they ever have gone in a Marvel movie. You have a gay couple that's definitely an explicit part of the story. But the main issue here is really the spiritual worldview stuff. This okay. is stuff that if parents take their kids to, they are going to need to spend Budget some time to unpack some of the themes here and to talk about where this worldview projected in in Eternals differs from their own. Okay. I love that. I'm going to push the pause button on this part of our conversation because we're going to maybe circle back to Eternals. Um, I've bitten off a lot today in our topic because, frankly, Dune is just as vast and just as complex and in some ways similarly problematic in terms of 
the spiritual worldview. Um, and Dune, if you're not familiar with it, was a book written by Frank Herbert in 1965. Some people have said Dune is to sci-fi what Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. I mean, it's some people, you know, that's subjective, but really see it as sort of the godfather of the entire genre. And in fact, George Lucas's Tatooine was inspired by Dune. That's your fun fact for oh, the day. That's yeah. interesting. And my my oh, yeah, second sure. Star Wars reference, and probably my last. But we'll, you know, I doubt it. I'm not betting. Yeah, yeah, no. totally yeah. sure. <laughs> I doubt that one. So this is going to be two movies because it's a sprawling story. It is sure. a story that centers on the desert planet of Arrakis. And okay, so now I'm going to earn my my geek bona fides here. Oh, uh, uh, I expect Arrakis it. is a place that in its sand generates something called spice. And spice is actually the most important substance in the universe because the Spacing Guild, you're right, it does sound a a little bit nerdy, doesn't it? (laughs) The Spacing (laughs) Guild has to consume it as a, and it's a hallucinogenic or it has hallucinogenic properties. They have to consume it to bend time and space to travel across the universe. So it's basically gasoline, jet fuel, coal and electricity kind of all rolled into one spice is what makes the universe go round for 80 years. Uh, the house Harkonnen has controlled Arrakis and they are the worst kind of brutal, nasty, awful dictator killer ish people. The emperor said you have to leave. And now the noble house Atreides has come in to oversee spice production. It seems like a gift, but as one of the characters says in the movie, when is a gift, not a gift. Well, the emperor wants to get rid of House Atreides because they're too good for their own good. And so yeah. uh, then the Harkonnens attack. And in the midst of that, so that's like sort of basic sci-fi, right? We have a group of indigenous people called the Fremen. And the Fremen are a desert people who have their own sort of kind of vaguely Islamic-ish looking religion. And they're awaiting a messiah. And they think that... Uh, the son of the leader of the Atreides, his name is Paul. They think he good will, name. he it is a yeah, good name. Yeah, You're right. Um, they think he will be the Messiah. And I'm still not even scratching the surface on everything that's going on here. So that's what we get in terms of the story setup. Paul, what is happening content wise that parents need to be aware of? This is a PG 13 sci-fi movie. You deal with a lot of, it feels darker actually, than your typical PG-13 movie, I would say. Yep. There's more violence, uh, it, or the violence is at least grimmer, it yeah. feels like. Uh, you grimmer, ha- I like that. More grim. <laughs> um, it has some some intense action scenes. Yeah. Um, language doesn't seem like it was an issue at all. So here's my question. We got these two movies, they deal with a bunch of spiritual stuff. Why do you think these genres really jibe well with veering in that kind of spiritual direction because they both do it in pretty different ways. But it's interesting to me that these sorts of, of genres naturally open the door for bigger conversations about spiritual stuff. So let's talk about that for a minute. Why do you think that is? So if I was going to answer that, I think I'd go with a two prong. You can answer it. Thank you very much. Um, Uh, We're looking at at two primary reasons when I'm thinking about it. 
when you're talking about science fiction stories, and again, this the Eternals is really a science fiction story in some ways. You're talking about world building. You're talking about this. You're creating a fully fleshed, realized world. And when you look at worlds, religion is always going to be a component of that. Yep. It's a very, very important of how we live. And that sort of jumps into the second point where science fiction and superhero stories especially, I think, they give us a chance to talk about bigger issues. They have a chance to talk about big issues that we spend a lot of our time at 3 a.m. thinking about. Good and evil, life and death, what is right, what is wrong, the nature of why we're here. These are all questions that I think the best sci-fi and really the best superhero stories uh, challenge us to think about. Well, and I think for centuries, people have invented stories of how did we get here? Because I think we all have this um, internal angst of, you know, who am I and why am I here? And these big questions. And a lot of us uh, are kind of pushing away uh, the reality of who God truly is and who he created us to be. And one of the ways to do that is to create other stories of possibly, well, maybe this is how it happened. And and we've done this. I mean, think about mythology. I mean, th- yeah. think about so many of these different ways. And honestly, when you look at some films, you look at a lot of the Marvel films, the Thor films, you see a lot of that in here. Yep. But with these two films, it really was just, I mean, it, you can't miss it. It was the thrust of what the film is. And you have to be ready for those discussions with your kids. One thing about both of these films is that they deal with religion in their own way rather cynically. Yeah. Which I found pretty interesting. You know, when you look at Dune, you find religion being used to further some purposes. Yeah. In Eternals, you have, you know, these celestials are really these very flawed godlike figures. And the one of the big questions is are they worthy of being followed in a sense. And so you deal with both of these movies feel like they come at religion from a sort of distant humanistic is religion, faith, all it's cracked up to be sort of of point. And I think that that can be um, interesting and yet somewhat corrosive. Well, I I think that's exactly right, Paul. And I think it's also interesting um, to build on what Jonathan said. When we throw a right understanding of God out the window, and we've talked about this before, we're going to look for transcendence somewhere else. We are hardwired to have a transcendent experience with God. And I actually think that both of these kinds of stories in maybe an unconscious way are an attempt to get in touch with a story that's bigger than we are, because I think that's the essence of transcendence. We want to be we want to know that our lives matter more than just, you know, our little lives here on earth, but that they have some sort of meaning and bigger purpose that really transcends the day-to-day struggles that we deal with. And so I think both of these genres are a case study in making up stories about transcendence. And like Jonathan was saying, we throw the real thing out, we're going to substitute it with something else. And it's really interesting. I want to take just a, a very, very, very quick nerdy detour the two guys that contributed the most to Eternals, uh, the original creator who created much of the Marvel Universe was Stan Lee, who's an artist named Jack Kirby. He got upset with Marvel, left Marvel, did an entire series of different books with DC called The Fourth World, 
And one of those was called the new gods. Like he quite literally wanted to invent a new pantheon. Um, and with Eternals, the second guy who made a big contribution to it was a man named Neil Gaiman, who that may ring a bell. He's done a series recently called American Gods that is cynical. And so both of these guys seem to be drawn to that sort of pantheon building mythological perspective. But as you're saying, there is a real kind of cynical edge to it. And I think as parents, as we help our kids try to navigate through this, we've got to be aware of more than just the content issues. We've got to be aware of the worldview as well. Yeah, and I think this is one of those times where I think our temptation is to, you know, if we find out that our kids are watching some of this stuff or they see it with us or, or you catch them watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, which talk about cynical superhero, yep. anti-God, instead of battling the lies, point them towards the truth. You know, sit down and watch some of The Chosen uh, with them, which is very well done and very powerful and literally depicts Jesus so well that you could just be like, hey, what do you think of that? And I think so often if we're bathing our kids in the truth, then they're going to recognize these lies. I love that. And I think that's a fantastic place to stick the landing on our conversation about sci-fi and superhero spiritualities today. Thanks, guys. In our second segment today, I am joined by Bob Hoos. And Bob, I think it's safe to say, is Plugged In's resident video game expert extraordinaire. Thanks for being here today, Bob. <laughs> you, you bet. It's, we just never get a chance to talk about video games all that much, I do know. we? So we're going to talk about an interesting game that we have recently reviewed. So, Bob, you spent a lot of time thinking about and playing and reviewing video games for Plugged In. And I think it's safe to say a lot of games are pretty straightforward. You know, yeah. what you see is what you get. It's like, it looks like that's a dude with a big gun. Get your trinker finger you know, ready. Yeah. Killing mm -hmm. things. Yep. And it's not like there's a big twisteroo in there somewhere. That's pretty much what the game is about. And honestly, when we look at any given genre, I don't care if we're talking about civilization games or platformers or shooters as we were just talking about. Right. Most of them have sort of set basic parameters and it's just variations on a theme mm -hmm. now that said every now and then something kind of comes out of left field and is really truly a different way of thinking about a game and may cause you to play and interact pretty differently right. and so that's what we're going to talk about today we are going to be talking about a game called the forgotten city so before we sort of get to like the big reveal as to why this game is pretty different what's the basic storyline in the forgotten city and kind of where did it come from because even that story okay it's pretty interesting well, let's start where where it came from um because this game is a mod which means a modification of a game, uh, it's an Elder Scrolls game called Skyrim. Okay, which a lot of people have played. Tons and, of and people it's, have played It's a Skyrim. huge adventure game with this gigantic open world where you run around and you uh, you take quests, you talk with people, and you kill people. And, uh, and this one, essentially, a mod. What they do with mods, in case people have never even heard that phrase before, yeah. is they go into the uh, the system program of a game, like mm -hmm. a PC game. And they modify it. They okay. change it, and they create another version of the game. Sometimes they can change the setting. Sometimes they can change the characters. And in this particular, or sometimes they add nasty content. Right, We've seen that right, with right. like the Grand Theft Auto mods. There's Which some really nasty go stuff. Really in nasty, there. right? Yeah. Well, in this case, this one was so popular 
It was a specific kind of twist that people really, really enjoyed. They, and it was so popular that they went ahead and created a brand new separate game. Wow. And it, it is really a very creative game. And it, it and here's essentially what happens. Um, yeah, tell us more you, about you as, what's the you're twist You're an adventurer, here. let's say. And you find this ancient Roman city hidden away in a mountainside. And it is, uh, it's dilapidated and all falling apart. But the interesting thing is that there are these golden statues all over the place. And you're wondering what's going on here. And then you somehow slip into a time hole and are thrown back 2,000 years to when this city was thriving and beautiful and green and lush. Mm. And you walk around there and say, what is this? And eventually find out that it's a city caught in time. And everyone there is essentially immortal. Hmm. And the magistrate of the city is, says, uh, you can walk around, enjoy yourself, have a great time. There's only one golden rule. You cannot sin. Oh, well, that's easy. Then, yeah. <laughs> and so... And, and do they say sin? Is that the word well, they use? Well, they don't, they don't use say it exactly, but that's, that's essentially the, what the they say. You cannot kill. You cannot cheat. You cannot... Uh, steal. You cannot do anything that would essentially amount to a sin. Wow. Or if you do, everything comes to uh, an end. Wow. So, so, so then the goal, of course, is to figure out what's this all about? What's going on? Why am I here? And, and why is this world set up in this time loop? And how can I break it? How can I get home? Can I save anyone else? Hmm. So it's a bit of a mystery, it sounds like, in terms of the core story. Right. And that's what it becomes. It becomes this mystery that you have to solve through your charm, because you talk with everybody. You have to uh, talk to people, and then you have to sort of detect. You're deducing what the mystery is and piecing everything together. All while not sinning or killing anybody. Exactly. So, and that's kind of the twist here, right? I mean, we're so used to games online where... Basically, you've just got to obliterate everything to survive. Right. And, you know, sometimes right. they're big, nasty, alien, slobbery things that, you know, seemingly deserve to be obliterated. <laughs> um, but this is a totally different kind of way of thinking about a game. Did you find it difficult in that respect? No, but it was very it was very interesting because it did cause a mind shift. You okay. know, because it's very much a Skyrim kind of game and you're wandering around and you're doing that kind of an adventure. And I've played the Elder Scrolls games in the past. And there are times when you suddenly think, well, I need to reach for my sword now. Oh, no, wait, I can't. Hmm. Um, and, and in fact, when I was playing it the first time through, there was a quest that I was on looking for uh, medicine. And the guy who had this particular medicine would only sell it for this outrageous amount of money, which, of course, I didn't have. And I thought, oh, well, I, I could, could just kill him. I could either that or I could just steal it. <laughs> and so when he turns his back, uh, when, uh, <laughs> exactly, uh. he turned his back and I just picked it up. I thought, this isn't a real sin, is it? No, it is. And everything started, you know, everybody started turning into golden statues. And that's the, the thing. It really it creates this environment that is very different, I think, for a lot of gamers. And that's what makes it creative and interesting. Do you think it could have a positive impact on younger players just in terms of helping them think through I think so. decisions in I real think life? So, because that's the key right there. Because it forces you to think. It doesn't allow you to just run and gun or run and slash or run and 
pull stab, your, throw. <laughs> pull your arrows. <laughs> you you have to you have to think your way around problems, which I think is a very positive thing. Okay, so we've been pretty positive about this. This is a T-rated game, right? Is there stuff here that parents should be aware of that maybe is not so positive? Yes, yes, there is because it, it the game encourages you not to kill, but you can kill. Oh. And people can die. Um, there are people that can be poisoned. There are people that there's one guy that, it, depending on how you converse with him, he commits suicide. Mm. And so there are images like that that ha take place. It just doesn't take place all the way through the game. And if something like that happens, the game comes to an end uh, and to, unless you reset. Uh, and there are other things, too. There are some implied sensual issues going on, even though there's, we don't see anything right. other than like this mural in a room that is uh, uh, much more abstract. Um, and there's also some spirituality in here, too. Uh, okay. You don't see that at first, except for this magic world. But you see the spirituality later on that involves these gods of the underworld, small g gods, that mm -hmm. have power and have power over you, too. And so that's a part of the equation and that you eventually reach to near the end of the game. Okay, well, given all those pros and cons, do you think this is a game that families could potentially navigate with each other if it sounds interesting to them? You know, I think they could, especially, I mean, it's not for little kids. Right. It's rated T, so it's definitely for teens on up. But I think depending on the on the parent and child, if they want to play together, I think there's some very interesting, compelling ideas in this game that they could not only play and enjoy, but also talk their way through, especially if they can navigate past some of the negative content that's still here, it's not heavy negative content, but there is still negative content that they have to navigate, especially the, uh, the ancient gods side mm. of things. Well, thanks, Bob, for telling us about the Forgotten City today. And it seems like there's a lot to consider here. And some families listening to us today may think, yeah, that's not for us. But others may think, well, maybe there's something here that we could navigate together yeah. and really learn and talk about some important lessons together as well. If you'd like more information about this game, be sure to check out Bob's full review at PluggedIn.com. And if you didn't know that we review video games, you will find a bunch more reviews there that might well be relevant to your family's video game choices as well. Thanks, Bob. You bet. Well, now it's time for that part of the Plugged In show we call Culture, Culture Countdown. Countdown. And I'm joined again by Jonathan and Paul. You guys, you know the drill. We're going to talk about a story that is relevant to families, and maybe that's technology, maybe that's entertainment, maybe that's something faith-oriented. You have 30, three, zero, not three, one, not four, one, not more than that, 30 seconds to tell us about this story. And for those listening at home, have no fear. If it feels like they're not getting the whole story in. We'll have links uh, on the episode notes for today's episode. So you can get the whole story if these guys fail to cram it into 30 seconds. But no pressure. Paul, I'm, I'm going to pick on you to go first. You ready? I was thinking you were going to give me 33 seconds, actually, when you let in. I was kind of excited because I can use that <laughs> extra three seconds. No, I think we're done talking <laughs> about the time now. So let's do it. 32 and a half? <laughs> 30. Three, zero. Oh, my goodness. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. 
So if you're like a lot of people, you may hold your cell phone using your pinky as a little ledge to, uh, to, to hold it up. There are rumors that this is really bad for your pinky. It hurts your ulnar <laughs> nerve that goes from your pinky all the way into your neck. Uh, there was a viral tweet about it, and people started wondering, am I killing my ulnar nerve by holding my phone this way? Turns out, no, you're just fine. Oh, man, you nailed the time. Holy cow, you raised my level of concern so high because I'm holding my smartphone right now with my pinky. I've never... This may be the most relevant culture countdown clip ever. That's what I bring. I know. Can you, can you spell ulnar nerve just because I want to... nerve. All right. No, no, we're done. U-L-N-A-R. No, no, no. 33 okay, seconds. Okay, good. I'm poking Paul good. to tell him he's done. He's cheating again. All right, Jonathan. Oh, my gosh. You ready? That is, sorry. It was such a great story. I, I'm sorry. We had I'm so intrigued by the ulnar nerve <laughs> you know, now we've that talked, I don't know if okay, I can even okay, do mine. Okay. Okay. We've now talked for a minute and a half about Paul's 30-second <laughs> clip. I hope, you're, I hope you're happy. That's Jonathan, it. it's okay. your turn. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Okay, as more platforms are testing out their social commerce tools, ready for this, 68% of Gen Z consumers are planning on, for their Christmas shopping and their Black Friday shopping, using social media and some of the top places that are going to go. That's Right, they're going to use social media to shop. Some of the top places they're going to go are Facebook, if it's still around, WhatsApp, Instagram, YouTube, because to them, uh, uh, <laughs> older nerve. Oh. nerve. nerve. We're going to stop there. And now, older Paul, nerve. you uh, you can buzz me in. This is going to be so exciting for you. It's going to feel like revenge or something. It is. It is. Fifteen seconds, right? Right, 15 seconds. Now, right. 30. Did I set the timer correctly? You did, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Right. are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Well, we know that culture norms are always changing, but there's some new research out that shows that young people ages 13 to 25 feel increasingly out of sync with organized religion and specifically Christian denominations. When it comes to issues like race, gender, sexuality, immigration, and climate change, they feel like the church doesn't care as much about these issues as they do. And because of that, they're kind of opting out. Boom. That was awesome. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can describe the movie Dune in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> well, I could use the money, but I'm pretty sure that I can't do that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you'd be asleep anyway. <laughs> Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show today. What did you think about what we had to say about Eternals and Dune? Have you seen these movies? How do you think they dealt with some of these big questions? We would love to hear what you think, and you can let us know on Facebook or Instagram, or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. And frankly, that feels like exactly what we were talking about today. In Need our, a part two. In our discussion. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the plugged in blog entry for our conversation. Or if you prefer, you can call us at 800-A-FAMILY. 
Well, we always appreciate when you take time to join us for these little explorations of things going on in popular culture and how they relate to your family. And we hope that you join us again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. Oh, 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 oh,